I always give you now podcast show Bad Karma Chapter Twelve. Trey said, "Jim, I want you to check Angus Batch's bed. I told you already. We checked it. Look, Fallon's in the dancing room. We had, we've had the cops come through looking for the body. Trey, cut him off. I don't give a damn, Jimmy. How now? Just do what I tell you." Anyone think do yet? Hatcher must have had much much of lunch. Almost petulant silence ensued. Then I don't know. Trey sighed and separated. He took a couple of deep breaths because his first instinct was to chew Jim Barrison out. But Anderson was good. He generally knew what he was doing. And they didn't he didn't know Angus Hatcher all that well. I'm willing to bet she no one has fed her. I'm willing to bet she's lying in that bed with just French loose, waiting for someone to come feed her. Hang on, I got the lug. Trey would hear the could hear the papers ruff, being ruffled rifled through. He could also hear the desperation in Jim's voice as if Jim was beginning to fear that Trey's hunch could write. Says alright. He says she hasn't eaten yet. Says she's still not out at breakfast. Sleep and meds were heavy last night. She didn't didn't fall asleep till four thirty AM. Poor Celine did the the butch log. She told me that she went into Hatch's room today at one one at one with a bedpan, only she was still asleep. Jim paused. He whispered into the phone. They heard her snoring for God's sake, another pause. Trey was sure that Jim was look getting worried. It was like they had a panic button. Well, he's just summoned an image, a panic button that was so hot, easy to push. When it pushed, a bomb went off somewhere. It took, it took, in no more normal term, Jim continued. You know what a live wire hatch can be? Person say not to wake her. I know that it's negligent, but you know, no, nobody likes dealing with Thatcher. They try feeding her in about 20 minutes. Trey cursed under his breath. No, Jim, that's... Here's what you're going to do. Get a couple of the big guys. Maybe Howard and Dave. Get to Hatch's room right now. If cops are around, get him too. My take is Hatch is lying there in the bed with blood on her face. Her hands are loose. She's tried this before. This, this is what she did on the outside. Jim grasped it. occurred to Trey that Jim was not aware of the method of traitorous crimes. Look, Jim, before D. Ward nicknamed her the Gorgon, she was named the surgeon. She operated on people while they were still alive. She removed parts of their body based on what she felt was wrong with them. If her old brother had been having sex with Donna Hover, Angus Hatcher would see her sex organs as what was wrong with Donna. What was causing her to be so bad, I'm telling you, it's Hatcher's M.O. Trey waited for response, but all he heard was Jim breathing. I'm telling you, she's lying in her bed, waiting for someone to pull the covers back. She's waiting to tag again. When you go in, be ready for a fight. Get some restraints. Take a metal rod with you. Something she can pry, something she can pry, you can pry between her teeth. She tries to bite and lock her jaws on you. It took so long for Jim to respond again. Trade felt like slamming the phone down.
She's drugged up, Jim said. You think she has a pit she was a pit bull. She's just a patient. She's got so much junk in her, I doubt she can lift a finger. Trey chuckled at the young man's naivety. Graveyard humour was a staple triple D. You only seen her for the past four years, Jimmy. I know her when I know when she was what she could do. Okay, boss. I'll do what you want, and if you're wrong, you owe me hundred come Tuesday deal. Deal, look, my beef is not working. Just call me back, Trey said. He gave Jim the number of the cottage, then hung up. Chapter 13 In his office at Drayden, Jim Anderson scratched his head. The entire morning had been like a migraine about to descend upon him. He was full of enough aspirin to kill a horse. Still, his head was pounding the flickering overhead lights. All fluorescent bulbs needing replacement conf- confounded the headache. It made him angry, angry that he had, had to follow Campbell's orders again, given all the crap coming down that morning. He had been hoping to prove himself as to his superior. It seemed now he was proving it just how incompetent it could be to handling problems. He glanced at Rita Paulson. She was pulling a, a rolling tray, meds and juice cups. Two psychics were walking with the pretty retinal therapist down at the hall towards the game room. Patient was screaming and suffering, but that was what that was what, what that's for Lewis to handle. Who would have thought that somewhere in this building a woman was murdered, her body hidden, a gentle's cut off, the woman with Lisa still there, invisible presence for what? For they were down in ward and greeting, getting, getting, what day, getting coffee. Jim didn't feel they were the necessary except for incinerating both fun yet again, this time in the less psychiatric friendly prison, but would come back later after both underwent another trial for murder and another psychiatric evaluation. Cops just got in the way, Jim thought. They tended to be brutish and nasty about the inmates. Jim felt a kind of parental concern for the psychos of his shift. Thank God the cops are out of my hair for now. But they'd be back soon, sniffing around for Donna's body. Jim had no doubt she was stuffed in... Some knocker or a cardboard somewhere, cupboard somewhere on the hall. It was the first time a staff man had been bit, bitten, bitten it, but it was the first time to Jim's knowledge that it had been a woman, had been a woman murdered, that one that seemingly competent as Donna Howe. Only way well, Fullen would know where a body lay, and he was going to start talking till this, till his strength showed up. Rita, Jim said, you want to hear something funny? Rita looked up from the tray, but not very bright. Nor was she particularly competent, but she was tough on the job. She had a face like an angel, but could hold down and play in the middle of a circuit rage. The situation rose. She was definitely an asset to the board. What's up? She asked. That was Campbell on the phone. He thinks that Hatch killed Donna. Says she's in the bed waiting for us. 
very laughing and how absurd this idea was. He had laughed like a bull elephant. He echoed down the wall. Ever since he shot the guy in his backyard, he's been completely paranoid. But he could have shook his head. Can't blame him, given his place. But it's, let's face it, if Patrick had wanted to get us, she would have done it earlier. I was in there. She was snoring like a baby. You know, same old, same old. I need to look to the watch. Well, you better test this theory. Test out his theory. If you want to come for me to feed the Gorgon. Gorgon was Hatch's nickname. Some among some of the staff. They were all afraid of her eyes because she seemed Martin and well more wonderful watchful than the other patients. Though that was not the only reason for cloth over her face. The cloth was there because she it's a staff needed to feed her. Anywhere, uh, anywhere near her face, she had, she had a mean overbite. First, the face-to-face, still the face clock, added to the myth of the Gorgon. Okay, Jim said. Sure, let's go feed the Gorgon. I don't want to look at her. Last time I did, she was just, she was studying me for the next something. For the next meal, for the next meal, we did The next meal we were farmer Paulson's screened ready. Chapter fourteen. Angus Hatch's room had been an enormous walk-in refrigerator for twenty years before. When it was converted to the room for a patient named Emily Food, who murdered her children and spent most of life trying to tear the flesh off her own bones. The refrigerator walls were knocked out and the rooms expanded, but it was again reinforced with steel walls. Most patients were, a- uh, were able to come out and go at certain times of the day. Angus, I mean, to constant, consistent, violent, aggressive tendencies, was strained round the clock. In the afternoon, she was allowed to stand for four hours, restrained with her arms and up in the straps. Her feet were coiled down near the floor. She had one way or two an exercise a day in another room, almost a cell by itself. Television monitor played on an exercise tap. If she chose to do calisthenics, but the majority of the rest of her life, she'd be spent in that bed. Strapped her face covered. To the outside, this seemed often horrifying. But then, as the therapist, doctors, folks, and all these knew, this was Angus Hatcher. This was the Gorgon. She had been a patient dreaded before, after being transferred from another hospital at the coast, because she had caused a riot among the patients. A very liberal-thinking doctor. Had given them a certain amount of freedom, believing that her psychosis rose from a childhood of abuse and depression. She ordered the doctor by operating him, as he was held down by the weight of, con- of concrete boots, blocks with foot without the benefit of anaesthesia. He said he lived for six more hours, but then he was found he was begging for death, come which came within minutes of the paralytic's arrival. At Drayden, she had bitten three fingers of an orderly within two hours of checking. In 24 hours, she had been under constant, constant restraint. 
Outside Drayson's walls, he had surgically removed a woman's liver on a coffee table. Played it, played with it for a while. He claimed that the woman was a recovering alcoholic who lapsed one more too many times. The liver had been a problem. She murdered a police officer, which was a crime that led to arrest and discovery of all the other murders. And police arrested her. It took six men. She had to be beaten into submission. On the walls of her house, they found dozens of notes, the addresses of all the policemen who had, been, who had bothered her, and their child's school, children's school, also doctors that examined her and their family. The lawyers were also unkind to her and other bad debts. Others, too, named in addresses which she had no apparent connection. All these stated, stated for torture and death. One of them she intended to perform up at first at surgery. She had been planning on slicing off, sli- slicing off their bodies as souvenirs. In her home they found a collection of penises, bladders, livers, hearts and lungs, and one jar of preserved brains. Some come with animal some come from animals, some from unidentified humans. She owed several surgical instruments, most of which had been stolen from hospitals over the years. She created her own using hybrids of fingernail scissors and metal nail files and other household items. She had turned the small den of her home into a pasadena into a surgery and there was enough evidence of the cartilage there. They, that one of the investigating officers had remarked, Forensic is going to spend years trying to figure out what, what belongs to who. She had been a high school teacher in Pasadena for several years. She believed strongly in reincarnation and that life was a continuum from one incarnation to the next. She attended All Saints Church and considered herself a heretical exoponium. She had graduated Phil Bider Kappa from the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in forensic science. On the time of arrest, she was a teacher and lecturer at various police academies in the Southern California area. She was a member of the Junior League. Her ancestors had come over on the Mayfair. She was a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. But there had not been a meeting in several years. He contributed heavily to the Children's Defence Fund and the Wildlife Fund. She voted Republican whenever she voted, but leaned towards a Libertarian facility. She was a member in good standing of Memster. A neighbour just before Agnes Red had been trying to set her up with his cousin, a subscription list to L.A. Philharmonic. She was a Gorgon. Rita opened the door to Angus' room, flicked the doors open. Time to wake up, Miss Hatcher. Chapter 15. In the bed, the patient moaned, waking up. Jesus, Jane Emerson said, stepping around to meet Superman's. She's been spitting out blood. A crackling of red was on the olive trap blanket. In his mind, he knew that Campbell had been right. Gorgon must have killed Donna Ho. She must somehow got her loose. She's playing the game with him. She held his he held his breath for a second, wondering if she'd call Howie and David into the room to help hold her hatcher down. But he knew her, but when he saw his her hand, it was in restraint. He was definitely in restraint. The cloth face cover 
was soaked red. It wasn't that. It wasn't like that earlier. Rita said, sounding a bit defensive as well as confused. June knew that Rita was occasionally neglectful. He knew, considering all the black marks in the file, that she might be fired for not noticing something like this on the rounds. Maybe he thought that when the lights out, maybe he hadn't seen the red. Maybe she, she wouldn't have looked at Thatcher's face was because you thought her, her as a gorgon didn't even like think of her as a human being. His first, her first, his first impulse was to remove the face cover, but he remembered for a second what Campbell told him or warned him about. No cops in hall, no metal rods on hand. He looked at Rita. Are you ready to see her? Rita shuddered a little, whatever. She may attack, stand back a little, okay, Rita moved to the side, but don't seem very nervous, at least not as nervous as Jim Anderson felt inside. He figured if he pulled back the face cover swiftly, and maybe jumped back, it may pulled her not to lean into the roommates like this. They pulled her ready to step backwards so that if they lunged, you would be safe. Curiously, cautiously, he went over to the edge of the bed, his hand in restraint. The hand restraint that he could see of it twitched slightly, then dropped as that she was asleep and dreaming. Jim grabbed, his, uh, checked his own balance to ensure that if she did make a grab of him, he would move back without falling. As he leaned over to the inmate and field lifted the face cover beneath a mass of blood, a woman staring at him, as if she was trying to scream, but not could not, but not let. Not one with her mouth, nor could her vocal cords muster much more than a reedy whine. Only with her eyes wide open could she signal pain and suffering. He knew those eyes. His fault was fault. Campbell was wrong. Chapter 16 Trey Campbell grown experience at blocking bad memories. This was one of the side effects of working at Raiden. For those psychic techs and orderlies who could not block out or deny the work environment of reality, there were often breakdowns of cold or burnouts. Several psychiatrists took the past three decades over the last three decades had left Raiden never to practice their craft again because they could no longer believe in the gods of Jean and Freud. Occasionally it was suicide attempts. But Trey could not block out the memory of that hit him full face as he sat back after hanging out with the phone with Anderson. Trey was 22, our new hire at Drayden. He was going for walks of Hatcher in the garden. She believed that Angus Hatcher had something somewhere, was somewhere inside the abused woman beside him. He believed her child would have been taken away from her brain, had been damaged through torture. She was smart, he thought. He believed that if the person was smart enough, she could be rehabilitated in some form. He played chess with her often. He brought her books, mainly Charles Dickens novels, that she loved. Then one day, he slipped. He told her something he regretted as soon as the words were out of his mouth. It's a ballotina. He had... He, he was the the the, the ori about human behaviour. Angus bent down to pick a flower. 
Look at those roses, she said, glancing back at him. Her blonde, fair hair fell to one side of her neck. She was pretty, and the faintest scar tissue. What <coughs> <coughs> can be seen? Just as the corner of her eyes and along her neck. The psychiatrist, I like him. I don't think you need to, to be in those restraints at all in time. That's all. You feel proven that your illness is chemical and behavioural. But he talks about patients. My patients, they, they he, he searched for the appropriate word. Monsters, he says. Asked. She stood up again. You believe in me, don't you? I believe that no human being would ever be shut away and tugged tied. Then that was when he knew what he, he had said too much. He had. <coughs> she had a way for her firm. I mean, it's by confidence, almost hypnotic quality. For a moment, he left, felt like the patient. She just like a tech. Let's go back. You drew for some meds. Let's go back. You drew for some meds. I don't like Bentantine, she said. She watched her what well, he watched her face as she was signs of tension. She seemed perfectly balanced, perfectly uh, relaxed. It wasn't until he came upon her two weeks later he knew what a mistake of driving romantic proportion. She had just gone into her room for one of her walks. A psychiatrist Bentantine had been there with his clipboard and drawing of uh, of her to examine. <coughs> Angus was already on every pill known to the medical community at the time, every pill that could subdue the strongest man. Trey could not forget walking down the hallway, smiling at one of the nurses, his smile back. The way his head was throbbing from a mid-afternoon headache, the smell of the laundry from the, the back then it had been on, the, on his wall. Clean smell, smell that seemed to cover all the other smells of Darden State. He was thinking of this fishing trip, and he and his buddies were going to take a few days to see fishing off of St. Brendan, three hours out. He thrown in 60 bucks towards the rope window. He's broke for that for the week, that was that, but he would catch enough fish to fill the freezer and then some. He walked back at Carsinger's. Angus hatched his room, glancing from the thick glass window to something. Sometimes he nodded to her as she went. He stopped, turned, and went to the door. Through the window he saw Angus leaning over the psychiatrist like a lioness over a prey. She turned and saw him, a faint, faint aura of red around her mouth. The psychiatrist's skin appealed back along his scalp. She had been trying to open his skull up to find his brain. After hours of operation, grass. Benton had survived, but never practiced a drain again. Later he restrained, she told Trey, he lived in his head. I wanted to set him free. It was the last time that Trey Campbell had ever seen Angus Hatcher about her face covered, cover on. The beginning of her obsession with, with him, a obsession that would last right up to the present summer day, July 3rd, when he was 36. Trey then took some aspirin, swallowed them dry, he stood in the kitchen of a rented house, 
and kept trying to block those old memories. It's safe, he told himself. But a cottage from an island, 26 miles off the coast, about, and about 140 miles of Drayton Sakes, he is in straits. He couldn't do anything to us. To me, to me. Kai sultered in the kitchen and said, How about a little romance to take your mind over this?